Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Every place has a history and a past. Some just happen to be more interesting than others. And in Louisiana, we're especially proud and fond of our heritage, particularly the buildings and homes that make up our communities and give us that unique sense of place. But keeping the past alive and relevant doesn't just happen. You have to work at it through education and preservation. Joining me today are two leaders in this area. Michael Desmond is an architect and scholar in the LSU School of Art and Design with a particular expertise in the history of architecture. For the past decade, Michael has been studying a subject near and dear to the hearts of many here in Baton Rouge, the architecture of the historic LSU campus, which includes the 19 original buildings with their signature tile roofs that ring the quadrangle and date back to the early years of the 20th century. Since receiving a grant from the Getty Foundation in 2008, Michael has produced an architectural history of the buildings, a technical report documenting the external condition of the buildings, a large public exhibition that traveled around the state, and a book. It's always a pleasure to hear him speak on the subject, and it's a treat to have him here with us today on the show. Michael, welcome to Out to Lunch. It's nice to be here with you, Stephanie. Also at the table with me and Michael is Fairley Cook Jackson, Executive Director of Preserve Louisiana, a statewide preservation organization that was founded back in 1963 with the purpose of promoting local interest in the heritage of Baton Rouge and the state of Louisiana. Preserve Louisiana, which was formerly known as the Foundation for Historical Louisiana, works to preserve historical structures and promote cultural awareness while also encouraging economic growth that revitalizes our communities through preservation. Fairley has led the organization since 2015. Hard to believe it's already been three years. Before that, she held leadership positions at several nonprofit organizations, including LANO, the LSU Museum of Art, the Community Fund for the Arts, and Boys and Girls Club. Fairley, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Michael, many people may not realize it, but your father was a well-known architect here, if that's correct. He, he designed, I think, the governmental building downtown, and several other important structures that everybody knows. Is that that what made you want to become an architect? Uh, it was inescapable, I think. <laughs> it I, was I, in the DNA, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I resisted it as long as I could, and, um, you know, it was, it was just natural. So yeah. what sparked your interest in the history of LSU architecture? Uh, the, the, in 1979, when I was in my fifth year, um, the School of Architecture at LSU moved from um, Hill Memorial mm -hmm. to Atkinson Hall. Okay. Atkinson had been the flagship engineering building at the southern end of the quadrangle. And engineering had moved into SEBA, mm -hmm. one of, one of my dad's that? buildings. Sure. And um, the first semester we were there, the, our instructor gave us a project to design an exhibition system for the work that we were going to be producing as students because the walls were brick. And I was interested in um, the, this was before the uh, quadrangle was landscaped. Right. It was all green and frisbee paradise out there. 
and I was interested in using um, the space outside of the building as part of it to exhibit student work. Okay. And um, noticed that um, the facade of Foster Hall, a thousand feet away on the other side of the library, Middleton Library, mm-hmm. would make a perfect complement to the facade of Atkinson Hall. And nobody <laughs> realized that relationship at that time. Nobody seemed to talk about it much. And, and, and so when I came back, I was offered a job to teach um, here in the early 90s after finishing PhD work uh-huh. um, I, um, a, a friend uh, had a friend who worked with the Getty Foundation and was um, touring the campus one, one day and noticed all the cracks on the, on the buildings mm-hmm. and suggested that we'd be ripe for their a grant program they were running and, and so we applied and, and got almost $200,000 to conduct that study and it sort of came together from there. Well, I, I want to come back to you so you can explain this relationship between those two buildings, because particularly for people who aren't familiar with the campus, they may not understand. But fairly, I want to bring you into the conversation as we're talking about history, and you've worked with several area nonprofit organizations. What attracted you to Preserve Louisiana, then called FHL, and how much of a learning curve was it to go from running an arts organization, say, to a preservation organization? Well, I think my my first uh, experience with FHL at the time, uh, Foundation for Historical Louisiana, was uh, just kind of getting involved with them as a member and a volunteer. And then when I joined Community Fund for the Arts as the campaign director, of course, I learned a lot more about them as one of our 15 member organizations. And, um, you know, I couldn't say back then my favorite organizations of CFA, but now I can. And I'd say that... um, Probably FHL and uh, Baton Rouge Gallery were the ones that I I became very passionate about very quickly. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with the history. You know, uh, Baton Rouge Gallery was the first, one of the first artist co-ops in the country, actually. And their focus is on, you know, Baton Rouge artists and statewide artists, a lot of them from LSU, where I went to school. And then... Um, Preserve Louisiana, then FHL, you know, focusing on the history of, of our, our area and our state, and not just architecture, but culture as well. So my arts background, you know, I think complements well the architecture side and then also the cultural side. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, ultimately, I think it all boils down to people. Yeah. You know, so it's not just about a structure. It's not just about a piece of art. It's the stories of, of those people those pieces and those structures and those stories are made by people and and as a nonprofit organization how do you take an organization like preserve louisiana and and broaden its appeal so that it's not just something that old rich people belong to because they believe and know about history and care and make it relevant to young people who may not even have a lot of money to contribute Right, that's an excellent question, and you know, I, and I think it's been part of your focus, really. It I mean, has been a big part of our focus because it was it was necessary. Um, you know, we're not going to go anywhere without the support of young people. I mean, no offense, but the the old rich people are going to die eventually, and while we hope they leave us great bequests, we need support <laughs> for, for the future. But um, you know, again, it goes back to stories. You know, so I think. Uh, broadening our focus, uh, not just from the, the, you know, the structures and the stories of places, and not just from 
some the well-known stories, you know, but it's it's really delving into the actual history of places, you know, and, and even sometimes talking about things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, um, slavery, uh, you know, we brought in Joe McGill with the Slave Dwelling Project, and, you know, some of our um, expanded lecture series like that have just been really popular because people, I feel like now, are really ready to explore the real history only then can we actually learn from it. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big focus, and I think that's what gets younger people involved as well. Michael, uh, speaking of stories, the story that you uncovered of the history of that LSU campus and the meaning of the buildings and their position, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful story, and I love to hear you talk about that history. If you could kind of sum it up, you know, the two buildings that you mentioned that sort of reflect each other, and the, the library that you referenced has kind of gotten away and messed it up. It was built in the 50s and blocked that view, but what was the original idea, and, and what do those four buildings represent that make the original quadrangle? The, the original master plan was done by the Olmsted Brothers from Brooklyn, Massachusetts. And um, they recognized early on that the two Indian mounds there um, and their position on the bluff um, was a significant um, historical fact. Mm -hmm. We we know now that those two mounds have been carbon dated over 5,000 years old, which makes them amongst the oldest man-made structures in the Western Hemisphere. It's amazing. Um, And they they stand at the last place where you can um, occupy high ground and see the Mississippi River on the continent. And the original design um, made a coordinating axis that came from what has become Highland Road across fields by the Indian mounds to the bluff so that you could see the sunset over the river. So it was a real naturalistic kind of ground to it. Um, the architect Theodore Link, who was hired in uh, 1919, thereabouts, um, um, utilized that axis as an entry axis to uh, celebrate the way in which uh, a university in a, in a free society serves the interest of the state. So you have first the Great Parade Ground and the Memorial Tower, which is a monument to the soldiers and sailors of Louisiana that lost their lives in the First World War, mm-hmm. um, a testament to the sacrifice and service that's needed to run not only a government but a public institution like ours. And at the culmination of that axis is Hill Memorial Library, the the main library. At the time, Louisiana didn't have a state library or state archives. And that was the collection of material for the state. The repository of knowledge. The repository of knowledge for the state, yeah. And so that's the, that's, that string of associations is we came to think of. And I should say that um, Paul Hoffman um, recently retired from history, had a lot to do with uh, helping this interpretation develop. That string of associations uh, relates to the ways in which the university um, affects and responds to the people of the state. Once you get in to the quadrangle, it's crossed by another axis, an architectural device, that runs from what was the student union, all about student life, Foster Hall today, to the, the flagship academic building, Atkinson, where mm-hmm. the architecture school is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and all four of those buildings, the Campanile, Hill Memorial, um, Foster Hall, and Atkinson have facades that are meant to embody those associations and values and to be read in a complementary way. 
And in the 1950s, they just plopped a library in the middle of it and messed yeah, it all up. They were they even aware of what they were doing? Uh, or did they care, maybe? You know, I think um, this kind of thing was happening a lot in the 50s. Um, after, the, after the war, there was a technological boom and an, uh, an enthusiasm for the future and where it was going to lead us. And, oh, you know, we don't want to do all that old stuff. And, <laughs> um, and you know, you mentioned my father earlier. My, my dad um, studied with um, Alvar Alto at MIT, a famous international architect, and came back to Louisiana full of the kind of crusade of modern, modern architecture. Um, today we think of them as mid-century modern, right? And one of the things that I, I get from him is, on the one hand, an enthusiasm for that, right. for progress and where we can go and what we can do. But on the other hand, um, he, he went to the, um, the National Trust um, uh, Summer Institutes at Addingham, is it, in England, and came back and did his first book on the drawings of Louisiana's antebellum plantations and developed a real concern and interest in the qualities of historical architecture and how they fit into place. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Michael Desmond of the LSU College of Art and Design and Fairleigh Cook Jackson of Preserve Louisiana. We'll be right back after this very short break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Michael Desmond of the LSU College of Art and Design and Fairleigh Cook-Jackson of Preserve Louisiana. Fairleigh, I know in the, in the rush toward modernism in the mid-century years, Baton Rouge tore down a lot of its great historic buildings and Absolutely. left us with a lot of surface parking lots. Uh, yeah, what Joni are you, Mitchell, you know, what are you Paradise all and put up a parking lot. <laughs> at, at Preserve Louisiana doing to, to preserve what's still there? Um, and you know, working through, through tax credits to yes. help to help developers redevelop the few remaining structures there are. Yeah, and and also outside of Baton Rouge. I mean, how much work do y'all do outside of this city? Well, you know, you mentioned the tax credits, and and really, you know, in order to save these structures, you know, it's one thing to go before you know, planning and zoning zoning and the historic preservation committee, and 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 make the make the case for a structure, but if you can give developers and um, interested parties incentive to purchase these structures and renovate and preserve them as opposed to raise the, or tear them down, you know, that's, that's where we find the most success in preservation. So as you mentioned, the tax credits, so in, in utilizing those tax credits and encouraging people to utilize those tax credits, advocacy becomes a huge part of, of my work and our work on behalf of the organization. So we do that not only on the local level, but on the state level, and we're actually very active on the federal level. So I know you followed us uh, pretty closely last year uh, when our own Senator Bill Cassidy was able to introduce an amendment that saved our federal historic tax credit. I've written a good bit about this, and, and the most recent time, I guess, was shortly after that whole bill and the success that you all had. And, you know, you can only read so much into online comments, but several of them came back, well, you know, you just don't understand. I mean, I know they talk about this as a great economic development incentive, but dollar for dollar, it doesn't pay off. And it does. It does. It, I mean, oh, beyond dollar for dollar. Yeah. I mean, this is putting money back into the treasury. I mean, there's there's been wonderful studies. Um, I can definitely give kudos to our Lieutenant Governor, Billy Nungesser, who uh, hired uh, one of the tax credit gurus of the country, uh, Donovan Ripkema, with Place Economics to come in and do a study on Louisiana's tax credit alone. <clears throat> so it's not just on our commercial tax credit on the state level, but also how that ties in with the federal and the actual dollars that are, you know, 
pumped back into our economy. And it is one of those tax credits that you can actually say is super successful. And then beyond just the what I would call that quantifiable um, data point, you know, there's there's that qualifiable. You know, what else is this doing? It's completely revitalizing communities. It has what we call a catalytic impact. You know, you you redo one building. Let's take, you know, O.C. Haley, Aretha Castle Haley in New New Orleans. Orleans. Sure. And a complete revitalization of a street that, you know, had very little activity, um, you know, no residential, no commercial. And, you know, you revitalize one of those structures and then there's that impact. And now we've got a thriving, you know, historic community. And that, that impact is financial, I understand, but it's so much more than that, too. Because the, the historical fabric and the way it, it seats our memories and, and yeah. helps us be who we are is a crucial part of this. Absolutely. And in terms of our memory of who we are, you know, we, we think of the, the his, when we say historic buildings, a lot of times we go back to the 19th or 18th century and that sort of classic architecture, whether it's antebellum or Victorian or even before that. But you mentioned, Michael, the, the mid-century architecture. And that's becoming historic now, too, because mid-century, 20th century was a while back. A lot of people still don't appreciate that style of architecture. Older people, especially younger people do. But tell us about that style of architecture and why it, it is special. Well, I would say, I mean, you know, just here in Baton Rouge, we have, um, you know, the architect A. Hayes Town, who we can, and we're really excited. Um, our preservation awards is next Thursday, and this is probably my favorite event of the year. But we'll be honoring Business First Bank and DNA Workshop, Dyke Nelson, who I think has maybe been on your show. Yeah, a couple and, months And, um, you know, for this wonderful preservation of the structure downtown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Hayes Town's a, a terrific example. He's one of a, a, really a handful of architects in the 20th century that adapted modern contemporary lifestyles uh, to the traditional historic structures and created buildings that um, are evocative but yet modern in the way that they're used in a way that's really delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the mid-century modern things are, are a bit different. You know, in, in the United States, modern architecture um, really took off in a big way with the commercial environment, mm-hmm. big business. And it, it never sold broadly as directly with residential architecture, um, but was adapted. Um, one of the um, things that I spend much of my time on today is scholarship with, with Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, wow. I, I work with the uh, foundation, Frank Lloyd Wright's foundation. And, and he was responsible for introducing a series of, of um, spatial ideas that got uh, picked up and broadened across the country. You, you, you may be familiar with um, Eichler Homes, mm-hmm. for example. Eichler um, was in the grocery business mm-hmm. and um, leased a, a right house in um, Palo Alto, California for two years and was so influenced, wanted to find a way, was convinced that he could sell the ideas and wanted to find a way to do that and hired architects and came up with this, what we think of as mid-century modern today and a half dozen other builders and spread it all over the country and it's kind of uh, domesticated in it. Interesting. Are a lot of young people today going into architecture at LSU or are they scared off by the by the prospects of, of not being able to find a, a well-paying job when they get out? No, no, no. We have, we have um, a, a strong and growing program, okay. absolutely. And uh, the landscape program is good. The interior design school is good. And always ranked very highly nationally. Um, landscape has been, yeah, sure. absolutely. It, ceramics it, as well. Mm-hmm. Ceramics, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fairly, what, what types of, you mentioned educating people and, and young people. It, what types of specific programming 
are you all offering at, at Preserve Louisiana? And, and do you all sell, say, tax credit services as, as a way to monetize, you know, generate some income for your nonprofit? Yes. So um, our educational programs, monthly we have what we call our heritage lectures. And um, these are free for members and $10 for non-members. And they're usually on the second Thursday of every month. And they range in everything from um, architectural uh, heritage lectures. You know, we had, we, speaking of mid-century, we talked about the Wiener Brothers and, and their history in Shreveport and the mid-century modern movement. Um, we've had uh, the Blues Foundation come talk about the history of blues. And then we have Lanyap Lectures, which are our heritage lectures with a little something extra. Okay. So it's that lecture with cocktails beforehand, but then we also add on some usually signature cocktails and entertainment towards the end. And as far as tax credit services, yes, we um, we offer assistance with submitting your applications to the state and federal um, system for tax credits. So we'll prepare your part one, part two, part three, and kind of get that going for you. Even do national register nominations as well. How much work do y'all do outside of Baton Rouge? I mean, are you primarily concentrated in the capital region? Um, I'd say individual projects and advocacy-wise, you know, on a structural level, um, we, we are more on the capital region, but advocacy, we are all over. You know, we are working with uh, local governments and obviously um, our lieutenant governor on a constant basis, you know, as he oversees historic preservation and then um, state, you know, uh, nationally, federally as well. I'm, I'm in D.C. several times a year. Well, that's so. very exciting. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of fundraising, in addition to that, you all always throw a big gala and, and grants, I suppose, also make up a component. We do. You know, um, most of our funding comes from our members. You know, I, I think that's one of the things I love about our organization is that our members see great value in what we offer. And uh, so they come back, you know, year after year. And then, of course, we have events that uh, we seek sponsorships for. And uh, we have a lot of support for those. And then, um, yes, grants and from various foundations and uh, federal entities as well. Speaking of fundraising, Michael, is there money available at LSU to do the preservation and repairs to those historic buildings that you've cataloged over the years? Um, not as much as we need. <laughs> Surprise. Not, not There's never as enough much money out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deferred maintenance um, Has statistics any of it are been, enormous. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation the white cracks. For anybody who's familiar with the LSU campus has noticed those, but those yeah. are like cracks in the foundation kind of thing? No, 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 what? no, no. Um, those are one of the things that's unique about the original campus is there's a, um, um, a concrete-based, uh, stucco-based covering over okay. the stones with, uh, over, the, over the buildings with uh, a fine mixture of colored pebbles. Mm -hmm. to give it the color and um, there were no expansion joints put in that and so in the in the heat cool cycles the buildings expand at a different rate than this covering and so they they develop cracks early early on within five years okay they're not structural but um, they're not um, very attractive and if they allow water to get behind them then they can be damaging um, those are being addressed beautifully um, They've uh, they found a way to um, use high-tech epoxies cool. and repair them in ways that you can't tell they were ever there. Okay. It's not what they've always done. Mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the years past, they would put an acrylic uh, caulking in it of some kind, and then they'd come back 15 years later and couldn't get the acrylic out. And it was more trouble than the crack had been. But now, so that issue is being addressed beautifully. And the state's paying for this. 
Well, ultimately, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And fairly, Preserve Louisiana has been based in a state building, the old governor's mansion, which is a beautiful historic structure in Baton Rouge. Yes. And your future, they're sort of up in the air at this point because the state didn't want to pay for it anymore? I don't think that it's up in the air. I okay. feel I feel confident that, um, you know, the powers that be understand the value of, of what we bring being in the old governor's mansion as the stewards of the old governor's mansion. Um, you know, besides running our statewide uh, organization, we also run the museum, the Historic House Museum, with um, a collection of thousands of objects and um, daily tours, all related to the nine governors that lived in the mansion. And um, I, I believe things will be fine. We're working it out. Um, you know, we're under the division of administration, which might not be the perfect home for us. So mm-hmm. we're exploring other options where we might fit better off. But um I have confidence that that will be just fine. Do do a lot of visitors come to the old governor's mansion? They do. We have um, lots of, uh, I'd say, just kind of random visitors. But then we also have school groups. We have a K through 12 program uh, that was made possible by the Lamar Foundation. So that's really kind of taken some wings. Uh, we have lots of school groups that are homeschool groups, which we love. Um, that's great. Yeah, yeah we've even done um, programs for uh, schools for the deaf and. Um, obviously, our, our local places like St. James love to come visit us, and um, of course, our riverboats. Sure. Well, that's good to know. What, uh, where do you all hope to be in three to five years, both personally, professionally? Michael, what's the medium team? <laughs> Doctor of Design in Cultural Preservation. Is this a new program at LSU? It is. Um, in Louisiana, in particular, the um, Lieutenant Governor's Office keeps track of. Um, the role that the arts and cultural production play in the state's economy. And this is a a program that we started last year. Uh, It's aimed at practicing professionals in a variety of fields who want to come back and develop an expertise uh, in an emerging field or in something that they do and and go back to practice. It's modeled after a program started at Harvard in the early 1990s. Wow. Um, and they're, they're starting to come on now. There's, there, there, there are a number of them that we know are being started in different parts of the country. And are you sort of spearheading it yeah, for I'm the, the director. college? I'm the director of that well, congratulations. for the time being. Yeah. Thanks for letting us know about it. Fairly, what about you? Well, now I'm curious what the prereqs for this are. So well, I, I was <laughs> too, but I'm not a practicing professional. I'm, I'm like, hmm, I'm very interested. Slide yes. in, because I'll help promote it, if so. Yeah, well, you know, I think what Michael's talking about is something that's so important, you know, and we see this on a on the state level and in, in an organizational capacity, is that, you know, there's a, there's a recognition of the connection between arts and culture and architecture and preservation. And I think that that's one of our goals, you know, um, so on the side with, you know, all that free time I have, I'm, right. um, I'm chairing the Louisiana um, Citizens for Culture. And previously we were Louisiana Citizens for Arts. Well, what we realized was that, you know, this overall, this overarching um, idea of cultural uh, Louisiana needed a broader base of support and advocacy. So I think that that's got to be one of our biggest goals is to, to kind of provide a united front when we're doing advocacy, when we're looking for support and kind of leading that charge and connecting all of those. Well, Fairly Jackson and Michael Desmond, y'all are both working in a sphere that is so special, one that I feel passionate about, and we really appreciate all your work in helping people understand and appreciate our past through its buildings. So thanks for sharing your knowledge and stories with us today on Out to Lunch. Thank you so much, Stephanie. 
My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Michael Desmond of the LSU College of Art and Design and Fairleigh Jackson of Preserve, Louisiana. You can find out more about the LSU College of Art and Design and Preserve Louisiana by going to our website, itsbatonrouge.la. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our face. <coughs> Excuse me. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsbatonrouge.la, and on our It's Baton Rouge Facebook page. These photos were taken by Carrie Hosford. You can find more of Carrie's photos at carriehosford.com. You can hear this show and past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsbatonrouge.la. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 